Uh, yeah, it's been an amazing worship time. I'm like all the pictures and the words that you guys have brought and the songs that you've sung, like, my preach is done. <laughs> I'll probably repeat the same stuff. Uh, so it's, it's been amazing. And um, talking about piles, this just like, I just, uh, just to break the ice. So, so, so you guys have seen the, uh, the tallest building in the world, the Dubai Trade Center thing, yeah? A friend of mine worked when they constructed it. I was like, oh, I couldn't work, but this guy worked. And like he was saying, there are 2,000 piles in that, in that complex. It's a huge complex, by the way, if you guys see, it's just not the tower. It has a huge complex. 2,000 piles onto the rock, standing on it. I was fascinating. Yeah, guys. Yeah, standing on the rock. It's, it's brilliant word. Thank you so much. And uh, so today, we're continuing on the mind prophets. And we are continuing on Zechariah. And... Um, about Zechariah's vision. Uh, we looked at uh, a couple of them last time, and uh, today we are on the third chapter, and we're looking at his fourth vision. So, dreams and visions. Dreams. You guys are... We all have dreams, don't we? Yeah. We all have dreams. Sometimes they're scary, like... You are being chased by monsters, Stephen said. And <laughs> I asked them, like, any scary dreams you want to tell me? <laughs> so that I can share. So uh, chased by monsters and you want to shoot them down. And uh, so, like, sometimes you, I've, I've, I remember stuff like where you want to run, but you can't run. And you wake up and, like, you're in shock. You're sweating. You're worried. You're scared. But it's all fine. It was just a dream. <laughs> and... Uh, you guys have had any funny dreams? Can you think of any funny dreams? Luke was saying, like, actually, we all have dreams all the time. He's, he's, done, the, he's done the survey. He's done the check. <laughs> but, like, we just forget. Forget most, most stuff. So, yeah, we, you, everyone would have had, like, funny dreams and stuff. And uh, I've had some random funny dreams, actually. <laughs> that just do. So, like, I... Like, I uh, this is completely random. So... I was coming into it feels like I was coming into a checkpoint, and I had two books with me, <laughs> and uh, I was thinking to myself like I shouldn't lose these books, and I passed the checkpoint and I've gone, and someone's coming behind me. I think it was Emma, but I'm not sure. <laughs> you you left one of your books here. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, we all have dreams, and sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're, they're scary. If you have scary dreams and you need prayer, please ask, and we will pray for you, and the Spirit will take them away, and uh, take them away. So, yeah, dreams are sometimes fun, sometimes entertaining, sometimes enlightening. But scriptures say that uh, you will see dreams and visions. Like, uh, uh, looking at, um, uh, it was said by Joel in the uh, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, like uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter reminds us. He says, like these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So, like, this is something God's given us. We, we had uh, pictures today, visions, 
we had prophetic words, like we are blessed. Last week we had so many encouraging words, like God's speaking through people and really encouraging us and bringing us direction, bringing us revelation of stuff. It's amazing. And uh, so it is something that's, that's really helpful to us as a church to grow. Uh, today when we were praying, we had this uh, picture of, uh, that... Uh, Sam brought and uh, Helen reminded us of it, like uh, stones, pebbles in Wales, and how we all are like different stones. And like, I was, uh, I was uh, reminding, this was actually in my in my notes. Like Darren brought a vision of uh, of the, for the church uh, a little while ago when he came back from Russia. I just want to read it. I kind of see parallels in that and in these stones. Each one of different stones. The church is like a keyboard. Obviously, I'm a music keyboard. Yes, what's that? Each key is unique with its own tone and sound. Each key is special and important. This is for you guys, yeah? Each, each one of you. If, if even one key is missing, the keyboard is incomplete. No two keys are the same. They are designed to be different, just like we as individuals are designed to be different. We are each unique, but together we all form one keyboard. For God to play the melodies he wants to, each key needs to present. If only a few keys allow themselves to be played, the tune is restricted. But when all the keys make themselves available, it allows the composer to play the most incredible melodies, the tune he really wants to play. I thought that was like amazing picture of each one of us different, but when you come together, God could play the most amazing melodies through us. So yeah. Uh, yeah, visions and dreams, they are, God-given ones are amazing, and it's so encouraging and uh, gives us hope and gives us, gives, builds us up as a church, yeah? So, coming to Zechariah. Zechariah was uh, a young guy, actually, in, in scriptures, it say he was like, the commentaries say he was between 20 and 30, and uh, uh, he was God's prophet in Jerusalem uh, more than 500 years before Christ. Uh, he, had a, he had a series of nighttime visions, uh, the vision Zechariah were, were messages from God to give hope to the people who had returned from exile in Babylon. Yeah, so the guys were in Babylon for like 70 years and they, they came back and they, uh, they were building the temple, uh, rebuilding the temple, but the work had been hindered and stalled. So they were struggling to build the temple. God, through Zechariah's vision, encouraged the people to rebuild it. God would both protect his people and empower them with his Holy Spirit to build a, build a church. So, Zechariah was one of the, uh, one of the minor prophet uh, uh, books that talks a lot about, the, lot about Jesus' coming as well. When, when, you, when we read through this one, you'll, you'll, you'll see what I mean. And um, so he had eight visions, all right? It says nighttime visions. And... Uh, so it starts in chapter one and goes to, I'm, I'm, we're on chapter three today, but chapter one, like what some of the things, things that uh, uh, God says through Zechariah is like, um, this is what the Lord of heaven armies says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord from the heaven, heaven's armies. And he says, my love for Jerusalem and Mount Zion is passionate and strong. It's all to encourage and give them hope, yeah? I have returned to show mercy to Jerusalem. My temple will be rebuilt. God is saying, it will be rebuilt. Uh, and it's, uh, then chapter 2 says, then I myself will be 
a protective wall of fire around Jerusalem, says the Lord, and I will be the glory inside the city. Anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. That was that, I thought like, wow. Do you know that you are God's most precious possession? Can you, do, you, do you see yourself like that? Amazing. I like this one too. I will raise my fist to crush them. <laughs> Be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling. So this is what um, uh, God was saying to Zechariah to bring to the people and uh, encouraging stuff and uh, to say that I am with you. So let's, let's look at the chapter 3. Do you guys want to get your Bibles to Zechariah 3? It's a really interesting read, actually. <laughs> yeah, you there? On your phones, on your books, on your Bibles. So Zechariah 3 says this. Then the angel showed me Joshua. Some, some translations say Joshua, but my one says Joshua. It's the same person. It's not Joshua who led these rites from the wilderness. This is another Joshua. In here, it's called Joshua. Uh, the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations. Satan, yes, the Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, take off his filthy clothing. And, and turning to Joshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Joshua and said, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyard. I will let you walk among these others standing here. Listen to me, O Joshua, the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Look, now at the jewel I have set before Joshua, a single stone with seven facets, I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven armies, and I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven armies, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. So that's chapter three. And that was the fourth vision that uh, Zechariah had. So I want to like bring a couple of things that uh, kind of God spoke to me about from, from this, from this uh, chapter. And uh, one of the things that kind of, I, thought, I, I, I believe God wanted to uh, focus on was God rejects Satan's accusations. Yeah? Uh, it's like, a, the way it's said, it's like a court-like scene, Satan accuses Yeshua who, here represented the sinful nation of Israel. The accusations were accurate. The nation, as represented by Yeshua, stood before God in filthy clothing, their sins. Yet God revealed his mercy, stating that he chose to save his people in spite of their sin. So one of Satan's strategies is to accuse people of their sins before God. But Satan forgets that our God 
is a merciful God. He remember, Satan forgets to remember that God's mercy and forgiveness towards those who believe him is far greater. And he rebukes the accusations of, of uh, Satan. So, also remember, Satan, the accuser, will ultimately be destroyed, Revelations 12, 10 says, while everyone who is a believer will be saved. And uh, we all, I feel we all have, um, all have times of uh, being, being accused by Satan. I mean, uh, uh, a classic one, I think God was just kind of uh, bringing it into reality for me. Like I had, I had done this preach prep and like yesterday, uh, spent, spent a bit of time yesterday and uh, came home. I was really tired, so I thought like, I'm not going to go to it anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, sleep. But before I sleep, I thought I'll just read through. And I, when I read through, I'm like, oh, this is not good enough. <laughs> like, I'll be like, that, this is not good enough. And like, so like I went feeling not confident at all to bed. And uh, I asked Emma to pray, and Emma prayed. Like, like, because I had spoken to him, her about it. Like, she knew, like, what the... And she could sense, like, this is Satan bringing accusations to me that this is not good enough. So she prayed against it, and I felt peaceful, and I was able to sleep because I was, like, struggling to sleep about it. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was a real uh, practical thing that God uh, reminded me of. Like, when Satan accuses you, where do you go to? Do you go to God's word to know that he is for you? He is... He has rebuked Satan. Satan is not the victor. Jesus is the victor. So, uh, Romans 8.13 says, there is no condemnation. Um, so now there is no condemn condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. All of you guys have done freedom in Christ, yeah? Sometime or other, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. It's fine if you haven't. It's, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant um, course, you can say, yeah? And uh, it, uh, it speaks of uh, who you are in Christ, about salvation. It's, it's, it's a really good course. And I, I keep going back to it uh, again and again and, like, uh, and uh, seeing what, what amazing uh, resources there are in it. And... Uh, I felt like uh, one of the things I was I was checking it when I was uh, preparing, and I felt this was this was a good one to uh, bring it to you guys. Uh, what so they yeah, scriptures say there's no condemnation. You are <coughs> the Satan's accusations have been rejected by Jesus, but that doesn't mean that we are sinless, is it? No, I don't. I don't think so. So. We do fall into sin. We do mess up things. We do have our struggles. What happens when I go wrong? This is a good one. One of the main problems we have with seeing ourselves as saints rather than sinners is we are painfully aware that we still sin. The example, the, the example that it was giving was, was, was key. I thought, listen to this. You may have a problem with snoring or burping. But that doesn't mean you have to introduce yourself to people as saying, hi, my name is 
honey, I'm a snorer, I'm a burper. <laughs> you may snow or burp, but that's not who you are. It's what you do. There's a big difference in the two. Do you see it? I want you to see it. Take a second to see. That's not who you are. You are a child of God, chosen by him. What you do, we all do stupid stuff and silly stuff. But that is completely like, uh, like in what Jesus did to, uh, what God did with Jeshua in the scripture. The soil clothes, he takes them off and he puts new ones. So we all mess up, but we essentially are children of God, completely cleansed and separated, what does it say, holy and blameless in his sight. We might do stupid stuff, we might do silly stuff. We're getting there, we're getting better at it. We're getting better at being faithful to God, but we still do fail. But remember the important thing. Yeah, you, you are a child of God completely forgiven, completely saved. You got a hope of heaven, being with God one day. And, and this is not your good works or what you've done. No, it is God's grace, God's mercy. He has given you his spirit. He has sent his son to die on a cross so that the price for our sin is paid. And we, by believing him, are saved. So, get a hold of that. I love these. Um, uh, you guys all have these, don't you? I love these. Because when you're being accused, are you able to go to these and say, you know, Satan says, I'm, no, I'm, I'm rejected, I'm unloved, or I'm dirty, but God says, I am God's child. The Bible says, I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord. I am one with spirit in him. I have been bought with the price. With the price I belong to God. That's what God says over you. Whenever God, you're being accused, go back to the scripture. That's where you find the strength. This is good as well. I want to... Uh, encourage you to, yeah, do, do, do look at these sometimes. It's really helpful. When, when uh, Satan accuses you that God is distant and uninterested in me, Scripture says God is intimate and involved in my life. He knows everything about me. When the accusation comes that uh, God is passive and cold, no, God is warm and affectionate. That's what Scriptures say. Scriptures say that he's always with us. He's, he never leaves you or forsakes you. So, yeah, when Satan brings accusations, go to the word of God and claim who you are, your real identity. You might do silly things, you might, but that's not what God wants you to focus on. God wants you to focus on that you are a child of God and you are a work in progress and you one day you're going through a process of sanctification with him and one day you'll be with him. 
in paradise. That's it. Okay, so. Uh, in, uh, in uh, I think that Dom has spoken about Fillmore. Fillmore is uh, a guy who's written uh, a lot of books about from the Bible, like, like commentaries on the Bible. And he has written for the Mind Prophets, and I, I like what he said. He is the one who tries, so he's writing about Satan. Satan is the one who tries to discourage you about the state of the church, about the sinfulness of your heart, and about the spiritual stubbornness of your unbelieving friends. When Satan brings accusations, let the word of God do the talking. Never try to argue that you are sinless. Simply remind the devil that you have a savior. Yeah, that's, I love that. And also, this really spoke to me. About the sinfulness of your own heart and about the spirit, this one, spiritual stubbornness of your unbelieving friends. Have we believed that? Do we believe that? Lie that our unbelieving friends are so stubborn, they're never going to listen. I think I have, actually. Like, I, I, I've got lots of friends, and, like, I struggle to share my testimony with them because somehow I'm, I've believed the lie that they, they're going to reject me, that they, their friendship's going to end. Has that, does that mean anything to you? This really spoke to me, actually. I, I need to do something about this. <laughs> so, yeah. Don't believe the lie that when you speak your testimony, when you share your testimony, when you share what God has done in your life, that people will reject you. They might reject you, but there God is with you to hold you and, and bring you through that situation. They might not reject you, and they will know the amazing treasure of no, be, knowing that they are children of God. They will know that they are, they too have a hope. They will know that the biggest treasure that we have will also be theirs. Isn't that amazing? So, yeah, when, when the accusation comes that uh, people are going to reject you because you're going to share the gospel, just think of, the day that you were saved and how grateful you are to the people who actually spoke to you about it. <sighs> I like this. If you are familiar with Satan's accusation yourself, this vision is for you too. Learn, uh, learn to worship in those moments by singing the old hymn. This is where the hymn comes. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me before the throne of God. Do you know that, that's, that those lyrics were written like in the 18th century? I know we made it fresh and new, but it was written a long time ago. Beautiful, 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 beautiful worship song. So, so that was about the Satan accusing of your sin and stuff. What about when, when this happens? I thought it was interesting to like, bring to your attention this one. In Matthew 16, 21, 24. Do you want to quickly get to that? Just give me a breather. <laughs> Matthew uh, 16, 21 to 24. If you want to find that passage. So Jesus predicts his death. 
That's how it starts. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Can you identify with that? Do you think you might have done that? I think I might have done that. Because like, what are you talking Because he didn't know what's going to happen. So he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, nah, we're not going to let you die. No, that's <laughs> not going to happen. But then Jesus says, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So, what I, I felt what um, we got was saying was, yeah, we, we like to give good advice. We like to say like, we like to say encouraging stuff, but also we need to be aware that each one of us has God's calling. Each one of us is called by God to do different things like the, the keyboard playing different notes. And each one of us is being guided by God to do what he wants to do and be a blessing. And yeah, we, in our hearts, we want to, we want to help them. We want to help. Uh, and we, we, we think it's, it's, but before you do that, I would strongly, strongly say, yeah, pray about it. Just don't uh, say what you feel about it. Be careful. Because like Jesus says, are you looking at the bigger picture? Are you looking at what is God doing through this person? Are you, are you able to kind of, you know, sometimes you, uh, you don't want to let go of things. You don't want to let go of people. You don't want to, no. But is God taking them somewhere else? You know, sometimes we don't see the bigger picture. We see the small picture, but the bigger picture God sees. And yeah, when you do give advice, do ask God and do ask the Holy Spirit for guidance in that. So I thought, that, yeah, that's, that's another one that, uh, that was helpful to me. Uh, in uh, in uh, something from, from my life. So we, we went for, Emma and I and Caleb went, uh, went <laughs> on training to, to India for, for a year, actually. It was, it was a brilliant time. And... Um, really struggled with it. Emma was amazing with it. I really struggled with it. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, but like, Emma was like into everything, like in, in a couple of months. I was like, for about three months, like, oh man, I am so strong. I lost all confidence. And uh, yeah, but got there in the end. <laughs> so one of the things that happened, like when we got back to Dubai, like the, the, the leadership in Dubai was like, was saying like, okay, so like, are you going to continue with what you were doing before? Like, because I was in the worship team and doing all kinds of stuff. But we felt like, mm, actually, no, God's taking us some other place. Like, we are not going to go back there. We like, like, we were round pegs. Now we become square pegs. <laughs> it was not fitting into the same place. And uh, yeah. And we felt, actually, that was one of the things that we felt God was closing doors there in Dubai for us. And, uh, and uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, there was a need. 
the church had a need and like we could have done that, but actually God was leading us in, in a different place. So here we are, <laughs> so long ago. Um, yeah, don't, sorry about that. Don't believe the lie that your friends are going to be stubborn. Yeah, yeah. so I, I've, I've shared that with you. Um, yeah, why don't you guys like say to each other, God rejects the accusations that Satan brings to you. Why do you do that? Just to take a breath, breather. <laughs> Which is completely true. He, he, he rejects, he rejects. Brilliant. Okay. Guys, I think that's still time. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I, I want to I uh, quickly, uh, God reminded me of was John 17. If you look at John 17, quickly, John 17, 20 to 24. This was this, like, this is, a, it's kind of a, kind of a random thing that I'm bringing here, but it just kind of also applies, I feel. Um, this is Jesus praying to the Father, yeah? And I, what I was realized was like, this is Jesus praying. He's praying according to the will of the Father. That has to come true. There's, there's no chance it's not going to come true. Is that right? This is what he prays. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me. Through their message, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. This is Jesus' prayer. Isn't it amazing? Does that give you hope and courage? That this is, this is going to come true. It is happening. It will happen. Continues, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. This is Jesus' prayer for us, guys, for you and me. I was encouraged by that. This is so encouraging that because it is happening. It is so real. It is so true. It is happening. So that's about the accusations, and I've, I know I've gone a bit random here and there, but let's look at the next one, which is God's mercy and grace. Yeah? So, in, in Zachariah's vision, God says to, um, uh, what, 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 what God does is, God takes away the dirty clothes that Jeshua is wearing, which is, which is to uh, indicate the sinfulness of the people and sinfulness of Joshua, and he gives him new clothes. And, uh, and he gives a new turban as well, which is amazing. And uh, so the parallel to that uh, in our lives, God, through Jesus' sacrifice, takes away our sin and gives Jesus' righteousness in, to us as a gift because of his grace and mercy. So 
that is a parallel that I see clearly in, uh, in Zechariah, which is a forerunner to Jesus. And uh, have you, I know I keep saying about forgiveness and repentance and, and uh, righteousness being accounted to us. I think I've, like I was asking God, is there anything new that I can share with you guys today? <laughs> and because I, I keep going on about it. <laughs> uh, I think uh, it's, it, it's just like how amazing, like how God gives us forgiveness and that he doesn't leave us with, so, so we've, he's taken the dirty clothes off. The visual is amazing. He's taken the dirty clothes off your, in your underpants, let's say. <laughs> Don't go there. And then God puts fresh new clothes on you. And the new clothes, you should, you should look at this. The, uh, is it like this, the new clothes? Is it like the, the clothes that Peter and James saw Jesus in at the transfiguration? Six days later, I'm going to go there, Mark 9, 2, 3. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. Three and his, uh, um, transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Is it like that? Interesting point. Because in Revelation 19, 8, it says the same thing. <coughs> Have you ever looked at yourself like that? I haven't. So this is amazing. This is an amazing thing that God's done for us. Salvation is an amazing thing God's done for us. But it cost him his son. It cost him his son. Can you imagine, can you imagine the, how much the father would have been grieved to see what was happening to his son? But it had to happen. I like this, I like this um, writing that uh, Oswald Chambers had written. I just want to share with you, forgiveness doesn't merely mean that I am saved from hell and have been made ready for heaven. Forgiveness means that I am forgiven into a newly created relationship which identifies me with God in Christ. The miracle of redemption is that God turns me, the unholy one, into the standard of himself, the Holy One. He does this by putting into me a new nature, the nature of Jesus Christ himself. This is the truth, guys. This is the truth. We have been restored into a relationship with Father as children. And um, we have all the blessing and the backing and his presence with us, the spirit of God in us. It is amazing. Like last week when um, Rob was sharing, like are we standing in that authority that we have? Because that's, that's who we are. And uh, just think of it. This Don't depart from that truth. Keep that truth as as essential in your life. You are children of God. And uh, it came as a huge price to the father, giving his son to die on a cross. And, uh, you know, they, sometimes I, I, I kind of like, 
I kind of break with emotion because I'm so grateful to God for like for my salvation that you know like the mess ups I've done and my life and but I am so grateful that he just takes away sin gives me new clothes gives me the nature of Jesus Christ it is amazing so that is your gift guys There's, there's an a interesting part about the turban. So I want you to quickly uh, go there. The, uh, the Lord gives fine new clothes and a new turban. The significance of the turban is this. It says in Exodus, uh, next, this is about the turban that God said to give, to make for Aaron, yeah? And uh, it's, it's the same parallel that it's uh, drawing. Next, make a medallion of go- pure gold and engrave it like a seal with these words, holy to the Lord. Attach the medallion with a blue cord to the front of Aaron's turban where it must remain. So this turban, I'm, I'm assuming, I could be wrong, but I'm assuming it's the same term because it was the priest and Aaron was the priest. So this turban had this medallion saying, holy to the Lord. You know, we, we looked at today, didn't we? We are set apart. I think David brought it to us, set apart. Oh, Sam brought it to us. We are set apart. We are holy and blameless. We are set apart. And that's what it is. Holy to the Lord. You are holy to the Lord. Whoa. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, a quick story about, I think everyone knows this story about salvation, about, about um, uh, being saved and righteousness granted to us. I just want to quickly, like, the, the, the story that, the, the parable that Jesus says about the prodigal son is, I, I feel, is a brilliant, brilliant illustration of God's salvation. Just to leave the point there, this is what happens to the prodigal son. And he arose. This is, what, if you guys uh, are familiar with prodigal son, it's great, but if you are not, what happens is there are two sons, and one son uh, says to the father, uh, Dad, I want, uh, I want to take my inheritance. I want, to, I want to see what's in the world. I'm going to go out there. So he takes his inheritance, and father says, yeah, go for it, take it. Uh, and uh, the, the first son goes, and he squanders his, squanders his inheritance, wastes his money, or I don't know what he does, but he makes a mess of it. And then he, uh, it, he, he hits bottom, let's say. And uh, then he thinks like, oh, what a dummy I am. I got to go back to my dad. I mean, I, my, the servants in my dad's house has better food than this that I'm having. So he comes back to the father. And this is what happens when he comes back. So the father, he arose and uh, this is what happens. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son who was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found and they began to celebrate. This is the parable that Jesus gives and this is our salvation. You're all welcome and he wants you to come. He runs to meet you. He takes away the dirty clothes, puts on a new 
a new garment. And he celebrates. Heaven celebrates when you come to know him. So, good stuff. So all of this stuff is good, but what do we do about it? The Lord wants you to be faithful to him. <laughs> so, with all this amazing gift of salvation we've got, how do we, how do we live with this? How do we, uh, how do we be faithful? Like in the in the in the vision that Zechariah um, had, uh, what does it say? Let me just quickly go to that. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyard. I will let you walk among these others standing there. God wants you to be faithful to him. And uh, is it easy to be faithful to him? Well, sometimes it is, sometimes it is not. When we keep our focus on Jesus, yeah, it happens. Then we get caught up with stuff and you walk away. I've done that many times. But I found this easy. Do you seek God with a stronger passion than we seek anything else? Is that your heart, seeking God with a stronger passion than you seek anything else? Is that your, when you wake up in the morning, do you feel like that? I don't. But if I did, I wouldn't have to face consequences of my silly mistakes, my stupid stuff that I do. So, in everything we do, we can be consciously faithful to God. Yeah, like Jonathan said, obedience, obedience, obedience. This is key. He gives you his spirit to be obedient to him. You can't do it. You can't do it. There's... He's always with you. He's always forgiving. You fall, you reach out, he grabs you, he, he pulls you out. He's always with you. You can be faithful to him in everything. How can you be faithful? Yeah, you can be faithful in the work you do. Do you consciously, faithfully are a blessing to the place that you work? It's something that I struggle with. Am I consciously giving the time for what they pay me? I gotta be faithful there. In, in relationships, are you being faithful? Are you being forgiving and are you being gracious? Getting there. I know we are all a work in progress. We can do it. The Spirit of God is with us. We can be faithful to Him. And there's only blessing when you're, when you're being faithful. Because God can play the most amazing melody when you are faithful to him, when you're working together for his glory. So, remember that. Yeah, about two minutes. I want you to look at Galatians 3.29. It's, it's, it's just a, a little passage that uh, kind of got my attention. And uh, 
It says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. What was God's promise to Abraham? Do you remember? It was about, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. So I want to leave that with you, guys. If you, if you are faithful to God, if you are obedient to everything he has said for you to do, you will be a blessing to others. And that's God's promise to you. And he is with you always. He's always guiding you and talking to you and, and leading you. And he's put you in a church where people are walking in the same direction as you are and wanting to be in the same keyboard as you are playing together the most amazing tune. So we are all together in this. And you can be a blessing. Each one of us can be a blessing. The Spirit of God is in you and you can do it. Thank you. I think I should stop there. Uh, what's the last one, Mike? So God's desire for his people is to live in lasting peace, community, and community with others as he originally intended. In the, in the scripture, the last, last bit, I like that one. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven army, heaven's armies, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grave grape wine and, and fig tree. Uh, the commentary says, like, God promises that each person will have his, his or her own place of security during Christ's reign. Sitting under the wine and fig tree is a symbol of peace and prosperity. It shows God's desire for his people to live in lasting, peaceful community with others as he originally intended. So, remember, guys, you are the children of God, and uh, the Spirit of God's in you. And you can be a blessing because, God, because the Spirit of God helps you to be a blessing. To, in every situation, in every person you meet, in everything you do, you can do it. And uh, be strong. He's with you. Thank you.